of the world is, and religiously. Yeah, so actually there's a group of us going right to here in a couple months, right in the middle of India, into the Deca Plateau. Um, going to fly into a city called Hyderabad. Is that right? Is that how it's pronounced? Hyderabad? Hyderabad. I got <laughs> my D's, like that. my D's, my first. Yeah, Hyderabad. And then we're going from there to Debir, which is up here on the, the edge of the, the Deca Plateau. So uh, that area has got a real mix of folks. But we have friends in Kuwait. Uh, so Kuwait is in the Persian Gulf, right there. Um, we're studying about the Middle East right now, and that whole area is surrounded by uh, pretty much non-Jewish. Although up until just recently, um, there were a lot of Jews in this area right here. So if you look at this area, um, so you've got, uh, excuse me, this area right here. Um, Iran. So you had a lot of Jews in Iran. Why do you suppose that was? They got taken by the Assyrians. <clears throat> got taken by the Persians. The Babylonians. Right, so the Babylonians originally um, conquered the, the uh, tribe of Judea and what was left of pretty much that whole area. So took them off captive and then the Persians defeated the Babylonians. And so we read about how the the, uh, the people remained in the land and settled there, had businesses, and uh, there's the whole story about Esther when they almost got wiped out. Yeah. It looks like um, it looks like Paul's ministry is all included in that in that square right there. However, when you look at it right now in our world, it, it seems totally void of Christianity as far as the, on a demographic. So when we read about Paul's missionary journeys, we're reading about a very small area. He was hoping to make it over here, right? He did get around, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And he was hoping to get over here to Spain, right? But he, you know, we, we read about what were his journeys, where did he go? It's all pretty much in this area right in here, up, up into Galatia area. So... We know that some of the other missionaries came this direction. I just say missionaries, some of the apostles. So uh, that's where Christianity started, and that's where we're trying to get back to. It spread it around, right? <laughs> yeah, interesting. So if you look at the mix of how it's made up, I think I've got that on here. That would be an overlay of that window. So, you, this is a predominant religion in these areas, right? And uh, no religion, yeah, no religion is religion. Atheism is religion. Aren't the Chinese more like Buddhists or something? There is a lot of Buddhism here. So to say, so the the state religion would be no religion. Yeah, you're not allowed to. Just like in Russia, you have the same thing. And they don't have a, a religion, although there are a lot of Muslims in Russia. Um, there are formerly uh, um, the Russian Orthodox Christian Church that came from the Greek Orthodox. So when we read that your way may be known to 
on all the earth, or on the earth, and your salvation among all nations, this is who God's talking to. He's talking that um, this message of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, would go to all nations. So we look at the theme of John, which I told you I'd read every week. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the whole point uh, of John writing is that we'll know that this one that we're, we're reading about, this man Jesus, is in fact the Christ, the Son of God. And that that is unique in all of, all of history. So this is a, a revelation um, about who this person is, Jesus, that he is the Christ. That means the, the anointed one, the one whom God chose um, as uh, the Savior of the world, the one that would represent him perfectly in the world. And that he's the Son of God, so we understand that he's not just human, but he's fully divine. And that believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, he came for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring life. So we've been reading in the uh, what we call the Upper Room Discourse um, in chapters 13 through 17. We're going to finish uh, chapter 17. We're going to finish the Upper Room Discourse this morning. I'll just go ahead and start out uh, reading the chapter. So, and, and then we'll come back, kind of figure out where this chapter fits in and how it fits in, and then we'll, we'll work through it. So read in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of, of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you, get, which you have given me. And I guarded them, that not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory that you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made known your name to, uh, made known, made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So this is right before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane that he spoke these words. So. What has just happened in the course of Jesus' ministry? Who can give me a, a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph on what's the, what's the events that led up to this prayer? Daniel. Uh, Jesus was talking to the disciples. Um, in his ministry, he had uh, moved from his public ministry to his private ministry or to his disciples and mm-hmm. he's basically he's been talking to them in figurative speech and then he switches up and tells them that he's overcome the world and that they and they believe that he's the son of God and now that they truly believe that he is Christ the son of God then he prays this prayer because they so it's now that they believe this this is the abiding prayer right that, um, so Jesus prays, and, and so it tells us that not just these twelve, but all of us, if we believe in Him with our word, then we'll be in Him as He is in the Father. So this is a this is a hard thing, uh, actually. What does it mean to believe in Him and believe that He was sent by God? So Jesus um, started His His ministry. Um, he started with. Uh, revealing himself to a select few people. And it was prophesied about who he was, and John the Baptist pointed him out and said, this is the one that we've been waiting for. And they had to figure out, well, what have we been waiting for? Right? Because they had all sorts of conflicting information as to what um, Messiah would do when he came. Right? What the, what the scriptures actually revealed about him. Some expected... Uh, conquering king that would restore uh, Judea and the, the throne of David as an empire, right? Because at one point they were. And then they became a defeated people. And they had they were still a defeated people at this point in time. Even though they had uh, kind of retaken parts of their religious practice when it was defined.
defiled by the Greeks, um, they were still subjects of Rome. And so many thought that, well, when this one comes, he'll be a conquering king. Daniel? Uh, he, uh, he is a conquering king because he, in his prayer here, he says that, uh, that he prays that we who are in him do not, um, let's see, that he keeps us, that the Father would take us out of the world, not to take us out of the world, but that he keeps us from the evil one, which is where we're going because of the wages of sin. So he did conquer uh, that. Right, so he didn't come to conquer uh, human kingdoms. He came to put down the revolt in heaven. Yeah, the real problem. To, to establish that God is, is the true sovereign, both in heaven and on earth. Right? And we even saw that in his, his prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. How does that go? Father in heaven, your name is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yep. So, um, Jesus was, he was proclaiming that which was his mission, was to come into the world to uh, restore right which is the way that God intended the world to be. But the world got corrupted by sin. And so he was coming to uh, defeat sin. And he was coming to defeat sin, um, not that um, sin had any place in the kingdom of God, but that there were those that God had chosen, us, humanity, that as a result of entering into sin, were cast out. We had no place in God's kingdom. So he came to save us, to rescue us. Right? And he revealed, that was revealed to a select few, initially. John the Baptist pointed him out and said, this is the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. Right? And then Jesus, as he moves through the, the communities, he continued to reveal what the heart of the Father is. That the heart of the Father is not to leave people in that place, but to take them from sin and bring them into God's kingdom. And that the way that that occurs is through us turning from, holding on to the kingdom of the world, and turning to him as the true king. So that's what belief means, right? It has to do with, with repentance, it has to do with um, submitting to the true king. So when we were created, we were created with uh, a, uh, a delegated kingship, right? So when God created us, he, um, we go back to Genesis and, and uh, chapter 1, And we read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there was a delegated authority as, as uh, creatures in God's creation to be in dominion for God. But it was, it was a caretaker role. It wasn't, it wasn't one where we were to be destructive 
in our rule, hoarding to ourselves, but rather um, being the hands and feet of God in creation. That we were to have communion with him, and that we were to be expressing who he is. We are created in the image of God, right? Doesn't mean that we're gods, but we have a, uh, a place where, in a sense, we could think that we are kings, uh, pardon? Well, so we we have a place in the family which we understand that um, we we are adopted, right? So that's talking about our inheritance. But what I'm talking about right here is not that um, we are uh, gods, but that we have a delegated authority that we are. Um, have a special place in creation as we see it. How do you find subdue? Subdue? So, um, what did Adam immediately go out and do once, once he was he received the command and what did he do? He Name went out animals. Pardon? Naming the animals? That's right. He went out and uh, says uh, he was created and in the midst of the garden out of the ground, the uh, Lord caused to grow every tree in, uh, that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It talks about the river that flowed through it. Um, it says, then the Lord, Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Right? What does that mean, to keep it? And he commanded man, he said, you know, you can eat freely, except... There's, there's uh, limits to who you are and what you can do, right? And so the man then uh, called all the birds, says, out of the, uh, God formed all the creatures, and the man gave names to all the creatures. So we understand that there was, a, there was a communion with God, and there was a communion with God's creation, and there was a custodial role associated with that. And that naming of all the birds and the animals is more than just to pin a name on them. It means to understand what their nature is. So he understood, he had a crash course in zoology, and all at once he learned, now this is what a lion is like, this is what an elephant is like, this is what a bird is like. Right. And, and so it was much more than what we think of as a name. Right, yeah. We think of a name as a label. Um, a name expresses... The actual essence of something. Like right. I'm Daniel. Pardon? Like I'm Daniel. Yeah, you have a name. Well, and it talks about how God has a name for us. And it's kind of like when God calls our name, we know it. Um, however, that occurs, that you think about it, all of the billions, probably trillions of people that have are part of God's creation, when God calls them out in a crowd, they turn and they look. Because they know God just called their name. It is unique in the sense of it is the person. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and that's, that's good and bad. Um, when my mother calls my name, that can be comforting. But when she says, David Richard Brown, you get in here. It's like, man, I knew I was busted. Um, so there's that, that aspect of it. But we were created... Um, with a custodial role. 
And in that sense, it's really easy for us to think that we are king. Right? And then we'll fight over who's the biggest king. And so you look at the way of the world, and that's what it is. It's all about kingship. You know, you see the bumper sticker, one who dies with the most toys wins. I'd say the one who dies loses. Right? So what did Jesus come to do? He came to reveal who the king is because we had lost our way. And he came to make a way that we could get back into that relationship with God. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So throughout his, the whole of his ministry, he first revealed this to a select few, then he revealed it to a larger community as he went through, and he brought life, real life, wherever he went. He brought life to a woman at a well. Right? And we think, well, she wasn't dead. Well, she had had a pretty rough life. He brought life to uh, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, who, although he should have known what everything that God had told him was about, he didn't understand any of it. And so he, he came to bring life. Right? And we understand that all the way up through the time when the world rejected him, and that's what happened, as we looked at the end of chapter 12, is that um, there was a rejection of Jesus. And uh, he had presented everything that God could do short of actually dying for the world when he got to that last supper. So when he entered Jerusalem and they announced him as the the king, but they had a different idea of what kind of king this was, what kind of Messiah this was. When they laid down palm branches and when they said, Hosanna, uh, here comes the king in the name of David's lineage. It was true, but it was false, right? It was true that he is the king and he is a descendant of David and that God had ordained that from the beginning of the world. But it was uh, false in, in that they didn't really understand who he was and what he had come for. And so he re- then has this personal ministry where he reveals who he is and what he came for. Because ultimately he wants to take the message to the whole world. But he had to finish his work and he had to have witnesses that he had finished that work and that those witnesses would be the ones that took the message to the world. So that's what this upper room discourse is about. It's the the last words of Jesus. And the last words that he has for his disciples is a prayer. It's a prayer that he intentionally prays so that they can hear. He wants them to hear what it is that he has to say before he goes to the cross. And what is it that he's trying to say to his people? Because this is the message that we're taking out to the whole world. Right? We are witnesses um, secondhand to the resurrection of Christ. So there were firsthand witnesses, and we understand that John, being a firsthand witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, wrote this gospel. But he wrote it, and it was preserved through great effort and trial for us. So we're secondhand witnesses. I would say that every Christian from the time of the apostles on 
is a secondhand witness. It's not like we're a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. Now we have that same witness that they have. So what is what is it that Jesus wants to say? Pardon? That there is joy. So we're in a world without hope. I don't care. I mean, you can have everything in the world and be still empty. You know, we were commenting on this yesterday. We went to see The Avengers, um, which is a great movie, by the way. Although I think Guardians of the Galaxy was better. We won't go there. Um, but So we went out to see this movie, and it was a great, you know, uh, joyous event. Right? It wasn't joyous because... Um, I could see that there is someone that can save the world, which is what the story is about, by the way. Right? Who can save the world? Who can save us from ourselves? Um, no spoilers in that, by the way. Everybody knows what the event is about. Ultron. Yeah. Is it Ultron, or is it an Infinity Stone, or is it what? You know, what about Thanos and the evil, evil guy at the end? You know, all of this stuff, right? Um, that's what the world is about. That's the story of the world. And you go to that, and you're trying to find some joy. It's like, hey, we can conquer the world. And then take that into our daily lives as we see the world coming down around us. And we think, man, there's got to be a Savior. Right? It's not, that's not, there is no hope in that. Because people will see what the world has done to try and save. And the end is always, always unsatisfying. There is no salvation. Right? Um, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The best we can hope for in the world is annihilation. And that there, that there is no continuing of the, of the suffering. Because it is. It's a world of suffering, right? And, and you realize that, especially as you get older and older and older, and you know, gravity gets stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what happens, by the way. Uh, it gets so strong, it pulls... The hair off your head, the color out of your hair. <laughs> so, you understand, you know, that's a pretty hopeless place. Yeah. I think a lot of it is that the people, um, I think, you know, with the workings of, of creation, it's like people know that there are consequences to actions. And so their hope is that they reach death, annihilation, before the consequences reach them. Yeah. That somehow they can escape. And that's why I say the greatest hope in the world is that there is annihilation. Yeah. And the greatest fear in the world is that there isn't. <laughs> so here we come with a message. And it isn't our message. It's God's message. Well, by the way, there is a God. And you're not him. <laughs> So that means that there is a consequence. There is an accountability to everything uh, about us. And what Jesus came, what, what he came for was to save, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Why did he send his only begotten son? So that whoever believes in him Right. So, so you can escape the consequences of what you do on his life. And it's more than just an escape clause. It's more than just uh, a get out of jail free. It's like 
like, oh, here's all my apps and all my deeds, and some of them are good and some aren't. It's, it's like, for you, your the entity that is you is not worthy and gets the path. So, so here I am, hearing the message of God, and it changed my life, right? Because what I heard is, all of that is true. That um, says here, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Right? That's, an, that's the statement about humanity. It's a statement about me. I came to believe that. And I also came to believe the first part, that God didn't send the Son into the world to judge. I, he didn't send Jesus as the, uh, the accuser of my sin. I was already accused. I was already found guilty. And I knew that. And I was either looking for a, a get-out-of-jail-free card um, or annihilation. And what God brought me was something better. He brought me real life. And that he demonstrated that and that he actually took all of my sin. And that was a lot. I don't know about you guys. But he took all of my sin and he took it on himself. He, he stood in my place. Such that I can now stand before the Father, my Creator, and be seen in the light of the perfect man. And when the statement is made guilty, because we have an accuser, and we are guilty, I can say, Jesus is my, my advocate. He paid the price. And in that sense, I'm able to be in relationship with the Father. I am now adopted into the family of God. Right? I have moved from one kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, into another kingdom, a kingdom of light. kingdom of life. And that's what John tells us about, light and life. This light was the life of men. It's the light of men. And so um, that's the message. And it's the message that each one of you has. And what is happening in this upper room discourse is Jesus is making sure that they understand what it is that he is doing for humanity. That they are going to be first-hand witnesses, not second-hand witnesses. That they're going to see his death. And they're going to understand that now he was really dead. That he was put in a tomb. And that everything that was foretold about him would come to pass. And, but that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And that they would be first-hand witnesses to that. And that's exactly what happens when we read the account from here. And the last thing that he says, his last words, are that we will know him. That we will be uni- we will be unified in Him. That we will have courage in speaking in the world and taking the message to the ten forty window, right? To taking a message to a lost world that has a false God, because they're looking for a get out of jail free card. 
but they're doing get out of jail free cards really hard. You know, what, what is the premise of every world religion? The basic premise. You have to do something to earn your way. You've got to do something. They're works based. I don't care if it's Buddhism, which doesn't have a God, it has uh, an eternal state, right? Um, it's, it's what you do that gets you to, the, to Nirvana. I don't care if it's Hinduism, which has multiple gods, right? 300,000 plus. Yeah. Man, can you imagine trying to appease all of those gods? Wow. Right? And maybe you've got a bigger god than some of the lesser gods, right? Or take a look at monotheistic religions. And there, there are more than one. We're a monotheistic religion, which means that we have one god. Um, but Islam is a monotheistic religion. What do you have to do in order to be saved? What do you have to do to get your get out of jail free card and to have life? Huh? Yeah, follow the Right. Good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. Ultimately, because there's no assurance when you step onto the scale that your goodness outweighs your badness, that you've that you have uh, acquired enough grace to merit favor in the face of a, an angry God. So if you take out someone west of France, then you're good? Mm-hmm. No, west of France. Any, any infidel, including themselves, which is why the current move, movement, ISIL, um, if we just step back, it'll self-destruct. Because they're naming themselves as infidels. And they're... Um, objective is to have the, the last caliphate, the last uh, rule of the Islamic uh, imam, right? And whether they believe in imam or so uh, other, you know, so there's even divisions among that. They're, they're so divided that it's really difficult for them to come together in any kind of meaningful way. Well, and they, won't, they can't have a state, so we call it ISIS or ISIL. Because they can't actually have a state. It would be in violation of their law. Um, but they have a caliphate, uh, uh, an expression of the, the perfect law of God, as it, in their interpretation, uh, in the world. Right? So one view is, I'm, I'm speaking from a purely military <laughs> intelligence guy, it's like, wow, these guys are really messed up. Just stand back and watch them go boom. <laughs> And that's, that's one of the strategies that's actually going on right now in the world. Just leave them alone, they'll self-destruct. But there's much more insidious evil than that. I mean, we see that on the news and we think that's just terrible. These guys are, you know, they're trying to gain favor with Allah by cutting somebody's head off. What kind of sense does that make? It only makes sense in a, in a really broken system. That's the world. I have a question about power. So in 16, John 16, Jesus says, I'm leaving you the helper. Yep. In 16.23, it says, Truly I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, he can give it to you in my name. Mm-hmm. Until now you've asked for nothing, ask and you shall receive. 
If I have eternal life, my life is his life. It is because he has given it to me. That's the message that we have. And it's it's a message that can turn the world upside down. And I say upside down because it truly is upside down. Because the world says, I want to have power, absolute power. And I'm going to construct a legal system, because this is learned from the Persians, right? The power of law has much uh, more power than the power of might. The Babylonians were mighty. The Persians had a, a, a system of law that could not be violated even by the king himself. That's why Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Right? They found, in the world's word, a better way. Legalism. And, and that's what's going on. Right? And that's why it makes sense. It's like, okay, if I'm a, if I'm a world leader, right, and I want to overthrow this other potentially powerful nation, I'm going to subvert their law. If their law is a religious law, I'm going to declare religion illegal. How many, how many kingdoms have done that just in our lifetime? Declared religion illegal. Russia did. China. China did. So, see here, we're listening to Moth. This is just in our lifetime. This is the way of the world. So, what Jesus is saying is, you're not of the world. But we're in the world. And we have a message that is incredibly powerful. And it is a message that we need to be all on the same page on. We need to be unified as to what this message is. And so if I'm the enemy and I'm thinking, okay, by golly, they do have the true authority behind them. They have the power that when they speak that message, things change. People's lives are changed. And healing actually can occur. And sometimes we experience that as physical healing. Sometimes we experience that as a spiritual healing. Right? We don't know what the true malady is that afflicts people. But God does, because he sees the heart. But what we know is that when the word of God goes out, it accomplishes that for which it was sent. So we read last week in Isaiah 55. And we are um, ambassadors carrying that message. And that message has power. All we have to do is ask in his name. What does that mean to ask in his name? It's more than just a label. It's a relationship with the person. When we are in accord with Christ, when we're not kicking against the goads, as it was said about uh, Paul, when Paul was was, uh, taken from, he was very zealous for God, the Father. He, He was so zealous, he said, you know, these upstart Christians are coming in and they're taking away the truth about um, our religion and so he was rounding them up and throwing them in jail to bring them to trial before the, the high priest and the, before the Sanhedrin and he was on his way to Damascus and, and Jesus kicked him off his horse and appeared before him and said Paul, Paul why are, why are you why are you persecuting me why are you kicking against the goads the goat is the sharp stick that moves you forward for if you're an ox, right? Or it's the, the uh, protection against the board so that when the ox is pulling you on the cart and he kicks back, he hits the, 
go instead of hitting you. Right? It's the encouragement to move in this direction. That's what it means to ask in his name. And when we do that, our joy is made full. And it's not a joy like the world knows. It's not, woohoo, the Avengers win, but man, I can't wait till the next movie. Because they didn't quite win. Right? That'll be always the story. They'll tell you something that is not true. It will never satisfy. But there is one thing that satisfies. And it satisfies so completely that when people come to know who Christ is, it changes their life. They're willing to turn away from everything that was holding them in this world and embrace a future with Christ. Right? That's what, and, and I'm, I'm an example of that. I mean, some of you have heard some of my story. None of you have heard all of my story. <laughs> um, but Jesus knows. <laughs> and there's going to be one day when I approach him, and I'm sure that in that day I'll fall on my face and say, man, I'm, thank you um, for not kicking me out, not putting me out with the cat. <laughs> And that's what this is. This is eternal life, that you, uh, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that part's interesting. That's the message that he's giving, right? Let me, let me read this through again. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he's praying. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That's what he came for, and he has the authority to do it. I don't know anybody that has authority within Islam. The highest authority there is a guy that was a prophet greater than Jesus, named Muhammad. Right? So we were looking up on Muhammad and had his multiple wives. He took a wife when the wife was six years old? Or yeah, six or seven. Six or seven years old. He's 15. And, and actually what was preserved, a lot of the eschatology of Muhammad came from this wife that he married when he was when she was six or seven. And they consummated 50. that marriage when... He was 53. Yeah, he was 53. She was she nine. Was, she was nine when the marriage was consummated. And uh, she survived him. This was one of many wives that this guy had. And his way of making sure that people stayed in line was to go kill the village, right? You don't, you don't, you know, sub submit to me, I'll kill you. He was greater than Jesus, who didn't kill anybody, who gave his life so that people could live, and was demonstrated, raised on the third day. And the, and the Muslims will, they'll acknowledge, yeah, Jesus was a great prophet, but Muhammad was greater. It's like, what are you thinking? What message is this that you're giving me? It's not this message, that there is eternal life, that we may know you, us, may know God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, the one who is the Son, the God-man. That's our message. And it's totally different than what these guys are hearing. No, no other religion or belief system on earth also 
um, compels you, therefore, to believe to lay yourself down through because in love, right? You know, to follow to follow Jesus and to lay yourself down because he that's what he did, and uh, and, and also very. And what does it mean to lay yourself down? And that's that's a question we're going to look at next week um, in more depth. But I can give you a preview. It doesn't just mean taking the bullet. There are people that their job is to take the bullet from the president. Right? Secret Service. They're there to protect one man or woman. And that, that they will give their life in service to that one person. Right? That, that you don't have to take the bullet to lay down your life. So people in here are already laying down their life. They're supporting those that are on the front lines. They're praying this prayer, right? That um, we not be taken out of the world, but Lord, keep us from the evil one. Right? How are we laying down our life? It, it might mean that we actually surrender our last breath. But it might mean that we surrender all of the other things that we want to hold on to. Right? That we want to truly be in accord with what God's doing in the world rather than what we want to do in the world or the agenda that we have. And this is really tough because we live in America, so we got a lot of agendas. Right? And I know one of my agendas is that uh, and I'm not one of those that, yeah, I want to have lots of toys so that you know I can win when I die. Um, but I don't want to be a burden on my children. So I'm thinking... I'm not going to be a burden. The, the one thing I want to do most in this world is not be an offense. Right? I don't want to be an offense to you. I don't want to be an offense to my kids. I don't want to be an offense to my country. So I'm willing to um, work really hard so that I can make money, so that I can take care of myself and not have to depend on somebody else. Right? I fall into that game every day. But to lay that down and say, you know what, I'm going to give up my security of not being in offense for um, what God is doing in the world is a real stretch for me. That's hard for me to do. Because everything I've learned from the time I was a little sprout is that i got to take care of myself. Yeah. And I have to do it in such a way that I don't create offense. And here is God saying, don't worry about the offense. If you're offensive, it's because they're offended by me, not by you. I want you to do this. I want you to go to, um, in this case, we're going to um, Hyderabad. And then going out from there to do walkabout. And there are going to be people in this room that get behind that. Because not everybody's gone, right? We have friends in Kuwait, <coughs> so part of our job is to help refresh our missionaries in Kuwait because they're under undercover missionaries. You can't um, be, you can't, uh, you can be a Christian if you're from outside, if you're not uh, a citizen of the country, um, but you can't convert people to your faith. That's a that's a crime. Um, so it's really hard. You know, people can ask you questions about your Christianity, but you can't openly say, oh, by the way, this is the message of Jesus Christ, and you should come 
to believe this because it's real life, right? You know, things we're talking about today, can't do that over there. At least not openly. So you have to be an undercover missionary. A large part of this world that's in green, that's the only way that you can do it. So that means very few are actually there. So if you look at, I had another slide I could have put up here that would show you how many missionaries are in each of these places. Very, very, very few missionaries in most of these places that are green. You basically have to have some other reason for being there and just be a light. And hopefully they'll know you are a Christian by your love. Right? So that's the primary strategy there. Places like um, in India, um, it's not a crime to talk about Christianity. In fact, there are Christian strongholds in India. <laughs> We we read about how it is a crime up here in China, though, to still you know give out Bibles and things like that. So there are a lot of different ways that we lay down our life. And so what we're going to examine next week is what does it mean to lay down your life, to truly give up and be in accord with God, to submit to Him. Let's go ahead and close here in prayer. Lord, um, we're truly challenged that you would um, pray so openly to encourage us to be unified in you, Lord, to trust in you, even though we are still in the world, uh, knowing that you are here uh, with us to protect us, to, um, to go before us, to provide for us. Lord, all of those different things that we read about in this passage. Uh, Lord, I ask that people in here would be encouraged as they read through and reread and reread, Lord, just to know who you are and how you so care for us, Lord, and that it's not just caring for us, you care for the whole world, that it's your desire that the whole world would be saved. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that you be with Bob this morning as uh, he brings us another one of the great sermons. Lord, we uh, ask that you provide, protect, and we thank you so much for your service, Lord Jesus, your death on the cross for us, and your gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all this in your name. We pray. Amen.